no one size fits all and when it comes to the south asian community you know it's it's harder to understand i i feel like they they don't want to kind of accept border services because they feel like people don't necessarily understand the issues that kind of come about within these communities i think you need to dig deeper and really understand why mental health issues arise in in the south asian community there are so many factors contributing to it but completely different to Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new season of Brown Don't Frown, a podcast which was inspired by my own personal story and journey with womanhood and feminism. It's a podcast where we celebrate new perspectives and unconventional thinking. Brown Don't Frown seeks to build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down the prejudice and assumptions about different passions, opinions and cultures and shines a light on the stories of underrepresented women who do not fit the typical criteria or ideals of mainstream feminism. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Stay tuned for what we hope to be an informative, engaging and thought-provoking season three. We have some incredible guests lined up, including other podcasters, changemakers in the fields of climate change, artificial intelligence, technology, environmental campaigns, South Asian mental health awareness and bereavement, as well as personal stories in the wake of Black Lives Matter. If you have thoughts or comments or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast in any way, please do feel free to get in touch at browndontfrownpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and stay safe. On today's episode, we're talking about voices of the South Asian diaspora, why mental health matters. I'm delighted to be joined by Madhu and Sonali of Mental Wealth, a mental health peer support group for South Asians aged between 30 and 60, and Sonam of the sister organization Reroot another South Asian mental health peer support group, which provides a safe space for 18 to 34 year olds, share their own mental health journeys, as well as sharing coping tools and how to manage mental health. So welcome to all of you. Thank you. Morning. (laughs) Morning. Um, So we'll start off with Mother and Shanali telling us a bit more about mental wealth. So um, mental wealth actually started a year ago. And it was by Janelle. Unfortunately, Janelle couldn't join today. She's the actual founder of Mental Wealth. And the reason that started for, because she actually worked with Sonam, who um, started Reroot. What Janelle realized was that they were getting a lot of um, older people attending who were over 35 and um, realized that there was a gap for the older generation that needed a support group so that's the reason why she started that which started a year ago and who we target is basically the 35 to 60 year olds Mm. the reason I became involved in it is because I always sort of about a decade ago I always realized that there was a need for something like this for Asians yeah but I never knew actually how to start it Mm. and um, I wasn't really on Facebook say eight years ago or anything like that so I didn't realize the impact of social media or anything like that so thinking that you know I wouldn't be able to start it and it was basically because of personal experience that I had seen 
I always knew that there should have been something for the young as well as the old. Mm. Um, so that was the reason why I actually joined. The aim of mental wealth is basically for everyone to just be in a safe surrounding mm. where no one's judged, where yeah. everything's kept confidential. And whatever we discuss, um, we actually say that in every meeting that we hold where we just talk about specific topics it could be so each month we'll have a specific topic in January we just had a general one where we just spoke about everything but then in February we did some we did one about self-love oh wow that nice was theme. yeah it was it was mm. really successful and mm. my personal experience is that I have seen a lot of people around me that needed support but yeah. they wouldn't really go for it or, you know, ask. they might come, yeah. yeah, they would come to me and talk to me and things like that, but there wasn't really anything that they could go to where they could be just in their own personal space where they didn't know anyone and could just talk openly. Mm. Um, and, and then my personal experience in the last eight years, five years, my mental health sort of deteriorated severely. And, um, that gave you motivation. Was, yeah, Join, yeah, basically. So I just sort of turned it into a positive, yeah. And I'm glad I've turned it into a positive because it's made me be in a different place at the moment. Yeah. So I really so like yeah. the name mental wealth because it, it is ultimately it is positive. That, yeah. It's an indicator. It's not monetary. It's actual physical and mental health. Really important. That's right. Aspect yeah. of life. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And so Reroute as well, which focuses on, um, the, I guess, the younger generation to an extent. Mm-hmm. Sonam, would you like to tell us a bit more about Reroute? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Madhu's summarised our space, you know, brilliantly. It was always about that, you know, people being able to come together, um, listen and share with each other, judgment-free. I think the main motivation, so Reroot is like big sister, we're two years now um, that we've been running. And I think the motivation was, you know, I am of the younger generation and Mm. yet do struggle talking I well I did two years ago talking to even you know my partner who's really open-minded it's not as yeah. if you me but I yeah. didn't have the confidence to articulate my feelings and I thought there must be several others um in yeah. the same position and sometimes it's just easier talking to a stranger who then yes. become through yeah. shared experience um, and there wasn't anything around at the time. And I think because we then don't have this conversation, we still have the stigma and the shame because it's just an unknown um, thing. And you're always a little bit scared of what you don't know fully about. So it was just about getting it out in the open um, and building up a consistent conversation around mental health, really. And um, everyone always asks, you know, where did Reroot come from? And I thought, well, you know, on Facebook, when you like something, it comes up on the feed and maybe maybe some people wouldn't want others in their life to know that they're attending something like that so it was kind of it just was meant to be a really abstract okay um, you know that doesn't relate to either well-being or mental health or or anything it's just completely abstract because we weren't following any sort of blueprint at this time Um, I think it stood us in good stead really because it's just one of them one of them things so it's our little 
baby project really so yeah it's quite an open-ended term as well reroute it could mean anything it could be you know rerouting your life restarting or as you said you know being a bit of a hidden hidden term um people yes. don't, don't actually know just by reading it what it actually entails so yeah that's really interesting um providing that safe space that is essentially what a safe space should look like having that yeah. you know hidden or ambiguity where people don't really necessarily know what it is and they might not want others to know what they're going through so yeah that's that's really really awesome and thank you for sharing um that with us as well um so today i guess we can cover some different topics um and the main themes well there are i think three themes to cover firstly around awareness and accessibility of mental health provisions and services and whether they are accessible uh, by ethnic minorities by the south asian diaspora secondly stigma so the depression and mental illness generally are already spoken about particularly with women as well later on in life with things like um, the menopause can have significant mental impacts and it's just not something very often spoken about especially among the older generation anyway with mental health so I think that adds another layer to the complexity of it and then expectations you know we've got as women as South Asian women we have so many expectations from our families on how we should behave and how we should look after others that can really take a, men, um, a, t a toll on our mental health um, so broadly those are the three themes that we'll be covering today. And to begin with, improving uptake of mental health services by uh, by the South Asian diaspora is a long-standing challenge for public health providers in, in the UK. How would you say that we could raise awareness and make such services more accessible for our communities? It is, I think it's a diff difficult subject because there's so many services available to the broader community, but there's nothing that's necessarily targeted towards these ethnic minorities. And I think that's where we struggle because no one size fits all and when it comes to the south asian community you know it's it's harder to understand i i feel like they they don't want to kind of accept border services because they feel like people don't necessarily understand the issues that kind of come about within these communities i think you need to dig deeper and really understand why mental health issues arise in in the south asian community there are so many factors contributing to this but completely different to to what the wider services offer yeah. And I think South Asians probably find it quite difficult um, to understand and to maybe go to these services because the perception is different. And also, you know, they're probably feeling quite judged. They don't really know what people will think of them. Um, and they also probably feel like they wouldn't necessarily understand their struggles. And there's so many, it's a shame because there's so many people of ethnic minorities in the health services, but nobody really wants to kind of take that step up and mentor or advocate within these communities. Yeah. And I think that's where we kind of struggle and we have to raise awareness. And there's so many groups like, you know, what we do and, and podcasts and communities like what we're doing, but it's very, very niche. Yeah. So the kind of, the struggle is how do we make that a bit more mainstream for people to understand that actually it's it's different for every community and really take the time to focus on what these communities are going through because for example when i'm there looking for content for social media for mental wealth mm. it's quite difficult there's very little research in the south asian community yeah. um, in relation to mental yeah. health there's a lot yeah. about you know what happens in india but outside of India, there's not, you know, there's no research to tell us actually what these people go through. The pressures are different. Yeah. The people in the West. It's, it's completely different. And I kind of understand why it's hard to then, you know, go to the wider services because they don't necessarily cater for the things that these people are going through. It's a completely different struggle. And I think 
like I said, it's very, very niche and, and, and we need to find a way to, um, to make that more mainstream. Mm. Yeah. Mental health services. I mean, in general, if you look at the wider British public, it's still, it's still quite a stigma. People don't really talk about it as much. Yeah. Obviously it's less of a stigma now, especially in the last, I think, decade, we've seen a lot of changes, especially with celebrity endorsements for various mental health charities to raise awareness, I think has made it seem, or brought it a bit more into the limelight and mm. given it the sense of normalcy, but then there's so much else to go with it as well. And as you said, it's, it's not contextualized to the South Asian diaspora and everyone's struggle is different. And yeah. the thing with mental health is that it's, it, it's a trigger process. So when you're triggered by something, that's when your mental health may it's suffer. Scary, and right. if you don't know what caused the trigger, like how are you supposed to provide that public health service? If yeah. You don't know what they've yeah. Been yeah, absolutely. There, there needs to be a lot more research into this. People really need to understand the communities and dig deeper into you know what is causing causing these issues to be able mm -hmm. to provide services but like i said make it more mainstream there are there are services out there but it's it's targeted very much towards the niche so mm. you know unless for example if i wasn't part of mental wealth i wouldn't necessarily know how to access these services yeah and that's why you felt the need to begin it to start it in the first place yeah there's a gap there yeah I just think that the authorities probably need to work together with the community leaders, maybe. Yeah. In all the different community leaders and actually have some sort of mentors where they're liaising with those community leaders yeah. and sort of finding out what the issues are and what they can actually do. I mean, that's probably the best way of, I feel, sort of having mentors or, you know, where they work together with those authorities and try and come up with some sort of policy or we'll look at things and see if policies can be made yeah. for those specific areas or in those specific areas yeah. but i just think now with the epidemic that's happened um, there's going to be so many financial res restraints that they're not even going to be able to think about that at the moment yeah i, I mean um, i imagine that mental health services are going to be flooded yeah, and it's just like things like, say, the volunteer groups that do do things like this, like, say, what Sonam does or we do. I think those councils should actually be aware of the local facilities that maybe that are volunteers groups and maybe get involved with those volunteer groups. Yeah, I understand that. that. Might make a difference. Yeah, I understand both the organisations are based in Harrow. Is that right? Yeah. Do you have any sort of connection with the local council or authorities at all or...? Um, no, I, was, I mean, we've been recognised, um, sort of Harrow, we have this Harrow Heroes Awards where we were recognised for our work just as you know, a voluntary group. But I think it's, I mean, that's amazing. Um, yeah. sort of the people in power, you know, that, that have real power to influence and provide funding for, for things like we do or that mm. several others um, do, you know, it's not yet penetrated to that level and I think without it we can't you know Shinani mentioned it'd be great if you can take it more mainstream but that mm. requires classes and funds and you know sing singular groups can't do that alone you know you need someone with power to kind of give that push unfortunately yeah. like a local mp or someone yes. yeah. there to like represent you um at the government level and the yeah. official authority level but again, I think part of it may be a miscommunication. Sometimes, you know, we don't have translators who can translate mm. what someone's going through to yeah. a mental health service provider. And sometimes people don't understand or they might misunderstand what someone's trying to say. And when that happens, it's very difficult to really try and pinpoint what the issue is and how, 
you know we can develop a plan to overcome it because it's not something that can just be overcome overnight you know mental health problems you know exist and they linger for long long periods of time and it's about the long-term strategy and you can't have a long-term strategy if you don't know that person properly it's difficult to understand a community yeah it's for anybody especially if they are not from that community so if all that those leaders that actually make the decisions or make the decisions of policies and they have not got a diverse diverse amount of people on that Mm -hmm. um, group or anything like that they are not going to understand they're going to still translate it in the way what they understand and we've got to follow those rules which actually Mm -hmm. it should be it should be the reverse of they actually need to understand what communities are what the communities what what they suffer with what are their values what are their morals what do they believe and it's sort of working on that because we're all from different backgrounds all of us but as Asians we all have that same value which is basically you know the morals the values the respect respect your name respect your family name respect who you are don't be judged what will other people say it's all of that and they don't understand that I think they only understand it at a very base level. Like I hear they, you know, they do reports from time to time in the mainstream, you know, government reports and there'll be like this honour and shame, but it goes like well beyond, you know, just those two aspects. Like, you know, certain taboos between parent and child. It doesn't mean there's a troubled relationship. It just means that we have slightly different family dynamics. Yeah. Western society and I just completely agree with um, what mother was saying that because they're not aware of those delicate parts um, and fabric I think of like a an ethnic minority they're just not able to make services that that are kind of accessible Mm. yeah and the thing is that I know it's we, we speak about collectively the South Asian diaspora but again even in India as a country alone it is so ethnically culturally spiritually diverse and people don't realize that and in in britain people just tend to be grouped together and again that's why you know it's so diluted you don't really know what someone's personal experience is from the south asian community because we're just we tend to like people just group us together and assume that they just can apply a blanket approach to everyone yeah our cultures are very very similar or this or the other but they're all very different they're not all the same at all and then there's another misconception that people who are you know from south asian communities are, are backwards they need to adapt and they need to sort of you know get used to the way of life here and that's perhaps one of the reasons why mental health illness isn't taken as seriously within our communities not just yeah. by us but also by the external forces because they think oh it's because of your culture you need to culture that. that's yeah. why you've got mental health issues so yeah yeah the human elements definitely removed from it i think maybe Moving on to stigma as a theme, it's, it's a huge theme and I'm, I'm sure we've all individually experienced stigma on, on different scales, not just for mental health, but for various other issues, because that's something that we've, we've been conditioned from, from young age, <laughs> stigma. So depression and mental health are generally rarely spoken about, as we know, and those who do speak about them are seen as a lot, a lot of the time weak and unserious about life. And we're becoming more and more aware of this sad reality. And the younger generation in particular have made, I think, significant inroads to essentially help us collectively unlearn these sorts of traditions and outlooks. Would you say attitudes among older generations are consequently shifting, perhaps one for mental wealth? 
Yeah, definitely. I think in some aspects, I think the older generation have come quite a long way. I think they're more now willing to understand what mental health actually means. Um, Mm. And they're also happy to support kind of charities and projects Um, because I think previously, you know, for them, they never really understood this term mental wealth. It was just kind of like, oh, it's a new phase. You know, people are just, it's all in your head kind of thing. And I think they're now starting to learn from the younger generation because it is, it is a thing, you know, it's a real thing. A lot of people suffer from anxiety, depression, all these kind of things because of the life that they lead and and the struggles that that lead up to these things. Um, And they're more, um, they're more perceptive to it. I think the generation now, and even, even my generation, you know, not life is a struggle, but you, you kind of have to, you have to learn to be a bit more independent. And my parents definitely learned from, myself and my sister going to university and having struggles with education and suffering anxiety and things like that and they now understand that actually mental health is is a real subject and they're really open to um, talking to us about it and and engaging in those conversations which I never thought would happen to be honest Mm. Um, and I would not know how to start a conversation with my mum and dad about (laughs) mental health you know I don't know I I genuinely just don't know but I feel like they're more open to it now and they're so much more understanding um, and they know how to deal with it better. But I do still think the hard part of it is that even though they, they make an effort to understand it and, and appreciate what you're going through, they will still not accept that they may have mental health issues. Yeah. You know, they, they still say, Oh, we're fine. You know, it's, it's, else. it's not us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where the struggle is with the older generation. Um, mm. But it's, I don't know. I mean, I find when, you know, the, the recent groups that we've had with mental health and reroute, you know, we've joined together and, and had some great sessions and we've had yes. such a mixed group. We've had a younger generation, we've had the older generation, all from different backgrounds, backgrounds and religions. And some of the el- older ladies were absolutely amazing. Like they had no shame in sharing their stories. You know, they, they kind of laughed about it with us mm. and, and told us everything that they'd been through. But they now they're now able to relate to what we're going through, which is amazing. So I think what, yeah. we are on the right track. What are some examples of? Were there any common themes that you noticed among these older women? I'm very intrigued. Yeah, I think um, a couple of them were very. Um, they, they talked about the kind of um, mentality of being an Indian wife, yeah. and you know, yeah. being uh, being subject to, or you've got to cook, you've got to clean, you've got to stay at home and look after the kids and the husband and that is your duty like there's no need for you to work you Mm. know a lot of them kind of face those struggles and they laughed about it they were just like look girls stick up for yourself because (laughs) you know we did it and now we've got our own life you know it took us this many years to get to that point but you guys have made us understand that we can do it and it's great because they're learning from the younger generation and they you know they just seem a lot more freer now but it's you know it's a couple of people and obviously the groups grow every time we do it but it's Mm. it's still quite a it's a difficult thing to get them involved I think we are on the right path but yeah I don't see my parents coming to the group or my grandparents you know I think it's <laughs> yes. still, there's a long way to go in my perspective I think what it is it's the fact that me seeing the younger generation actually being quite strong mm. and giving their opinions and making decisions and whatever is sometimes I would say oh god I wish I I, I wish I yeah. was like that it's yeah, but you, you paved the way for that. Your generation, yeah. you know, enabled it to happen to begin with. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. But I, I think so, you know, there's a lot of elder people, the mm. older generation, not elder. I'd all class myself as like really old, like, <laughs> and, you know, old, 
or anything like that. But what I have seen when I see like my nieces and my nephews, the strength that they have Mm. in whereas the strength that I had um, at their age, I wouldn't have, I was, I was different to my siblings and everything like that. They're in their sixties and I'm in my fifties. So I'm the youngest from my generation. So I sort of think differently to how they do. Um, But what I find is that in the elder generation, it's good if you've got that background where you can speak openly. Mm. But if you can't speak openly, you know, the younger generation to, with their older gener- with their parents, that's the struggle that, that a lot of communities will have. Yeah. Because we're quite lucky. We, we speak to, our, like I speak to my daughters, they speak to me about anything. And that's how I want my relationship to be with my girls because I don't want them to suffer. No. Um, with anything I just want them us to, and I think the best thing you can have in a family is have that open relationship which it hadn't been 15-20 years ago where yeah, that is happening now but you've got communities where actually it's still not like that mm. it's very difficult because it still is respect the family name respect your elders and what will others think it, it is still there and yeah. that is the bit which is very difficult for our community to um, open up, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking of all the women in my life, all my family members who are women and who are have got this very, very hardened, callous attitude towards anything that involves giving an emotive response or personal yeah. struggles. And that's because of the way they've been conditioned. It's not because, you know, they're just... It's basically they've, they've learned to survive and just yeah, carry exactly. on and deal with it. And that is it. But they, you know, they would have suppressed a lot of emotions that they would have wanted to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you hit the nail on the head there. It's, they've just been told, you know, just deal with it. it yeah. It is kind of thing. And it's, it's all in your head. Just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking of my grandma like whenever she's you know she went through difficult times she just say oh well you know you just have to move on one of my aunties like she said like she she doesn't even cry anymore like she physically can't cry I just found that insane like how (laughs) I just couldn't imagine it like and I feel uh, in relation to that I feel so privileged because I am I am able to articulate myself when I'm feeling upset maybe not to the fullest sense because you always have those reservations having grown up in, in a South Asian household but I feel like I'm more liberated in that sense compared to um you know my aunties and my yeah older members in my family so we're not taking steps but it's just slower than we'd like yeah. it to be, maybe yeah. but your aunties would be proud of you actually seeing that because that's something that they would have wanted to have been yeah yeah exactly yeah. And I think it's just amazing that women collectively have become more empowered like of all generations and that's lending to this conversation like obviously you know like I'm saying you know you may have wanted to do it 20 years ago but there were still those burdens and those shackles per se um mm. but they're not there um for young and slightly older women and I think that's just got a dialogue going that was so needed um in particular as women I think mm. having more pressures on on them um so yeah like I just completely you know, just agree with everything ladies are saying there, but that it's time now, you know, people have the opportunity now to talk about these. Yeah. I would say that they do need the support of their families to be able to do that. If they don't, it might be a really hard struggle for those families. Mm. Yeah. You know, if you've got a partner that doesn't understand and just actually doesn't care, it's what that woman can actually do or not even woman or man can even do. Mm. Um, 
to get that support to realize that you can actually get support it may not be from your family but you could get support from other people yeah you may know who are in your life yeah you mentioned earlier that sometimes it's actually easy to talk to someone external someone you don't know yeah you know they're not going to judge you they don't know you well enough to give you that so yeah perhaps that is maybe that's just you know universal across the board that's why people go to therapy i guess so they can talk to a stranger rather than their significant other i don't know yeah but you know like if you look if you think about if people do go to say other people like like counselors or do cbt or anything like that Mm. and it's and if it's a person who is not from that culture Mm. they're not going to understand what maybe the the young person's talk you know they're going to understand what the young person's talking about or what the elder person's talking about but it's they have their their opinions not going to be looking at the values and the morals of that asian society yeah they um, perspective yeah. yeah yeah so that's a hurdle it is a hurdle and you might feel burdened because you think oh i need to now explain the background before i actually tell my story so what's the point mm-hmm. Yeah. No, because they, they might get a, you know you you'll get a different perspective from yeah someone, that's true yeah you know but there is that other side of it where they don't understand they there's a lot of counselors out there that will not understand the cultures yeah of the different communities and who come to see them and whatever because they're just going to have that one way approach yeah and it's it's true I think it's a lot to do with um experience as well because I know some old elder well not elder but older ladies who have you know suffered from mental health illnesses and you know they haven't been ashamed to approach the NHS and gone to see doctors and I'm sorry were the doctors shocked not shocked um but I think they all had the same approach and and I I struggled from anxiety and I went to see the doctors and the first thing that they did was prescribe me medication for depression and you know they did the same thing to my mom the same thing to other you know elder ladies that i i know and they're not looking for medication they don't want medication they want to say they want you to say here are some support services that you can go to and i think i think that experience is not great you know i didn't want to speak to anybody after that i thought i don't i don't need pills okay fine i have i have an issue but i'm coming to you to understand what are the ways that i can work on that i don't need pills and 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 i think this is this is where we struggle as well with with the wider support that's available the first thing that they do is prescribe you some medication that you don't necessarily sometimes you need it but you sometimes you don't and it's and then they stop there you know they're not going to go any further than that because they've been shot down once um and i was lucky yeah sorry i was sorry shanali no you're gonna say um no no, i was gonna say that when i went to the gp i literally broke down and cried so but luckily they didn't give me medication because I didn't want medication. I yeah. just want, I needed to talk to someone. Yeah. So my example is a bit different to yours. Um, but basically what happened is when I went to see a counsellor, um, they assessed me actually to see if I was on the borderline of needing medication and everything like that, which I gave, you know, did the assessment. And, um, and then they said, they actually phoned me, contacted me and said, okay, you need to go to a center. And it was an Asian center in our area. Oh, I didn't wow. want to go to it. I didn't want to go to it because I, I just felt that I couldn't trust yeah. the people there. Yeah. What are they going to so, say? Yeah. So I've, like, I've contradicted myself in what I've yeah. said. Like, you need those services which understand you as, as that, you know, from an Asian culture. But the other side of it is like understanding that if you do go somewhere, you're you going need to, to have hard. that trust. Yeah. yeah. 
I in myself didn't feel comfortable. No, I would. I don't know if it could have been with the issues that I had and whatever. So I wanted to speak to someone who did not know me or who may not know someone that I knew, Mm. you know, so like, there's a lot of there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages. I believe that you know, working sort of living in an area where someone might know someone that you know, and it's and it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think we all find that issue in our group as to thinking. You know, we want people to know that they can trust us when they come to our group. That it's not going to be spoken about when they actually go out yeah. and talk yeah. to other people or anything like that. I think it is just because everyone has had judgment. If you're South Asian and you've grown up here or in India, anywhere, I think like judging people and, you know, gossip and having someone make opinions of any action that you take, um, I think everyone's just so worn down by that, that, you know, we have to repeat at every meeting, um, you know, that this is in confidence, you know, we treat each other with respect, which means that we won't share anything, you know, outside of the virtual four walls on Zoom or the real four walls when we're in person, because, you know, that is still a very prevalent issue, I think, mm-hmm. so you know to have thought that I'm not surprised because even some other people that are younger you know they still think that because it is mm. some trouble our community still and I think generally the perception is that the Asian community is quite judgmental yeah so I think that's the first thing I, that I would think of if you know I was led to go to, to a group like this I think oh god I'm gonna go there and everybody's gonna look at me and whatever I say is going to be wrong so what's the point yeah. yeah you know so it's hard it's hard to get over that and it is a contradiction because we want these services that are, you know, are tailored to our community, but at the same time, you know that it comes with a lot of pressure. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's quite hard. It's difficult because you don't want to be fueling the stereotype of, you know, gossiping Asian aunties. But the thing yeah. is, like, that is yeah. such that is a sad reality of it. People yes. are gossip, even with yeah. your own family. People are gossiping, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, a really bad example. Because what if I, you know, subconsciously end up attracting these sorts of traits in the future and I become like that you know it's the last thing I'd want to to be that sort of person who talks about the people and the and the, and the struggles and the griefs that they go through but then if you're yeah, totally surrounded by it, it's very difficult to you know completely step out of that sort of mindset it's just not a productive thing to do especially in the context of mental health yeah. and I think you yeah and I think you know you have a so I'm a really private person Mm. as to and I've always found that and I've never liked people knowing what I was doing in my household and everything like that and you found that in the Asian family it is like that yeah even in my family it could be like that but literally I've always been like that from a young age where I kept things to myself but not saving face isn't it you don't want yeah and it's it's yeah I guess it's that as well but it's just the fact that because I know what everyone else got what everyone else is going to think so whatever I did I when I was young I tell my mom this is what I've been doing. This is who I've been hanging around with. <laughs> if anyone comes to you and actually says anything, you're prepared. Exactly. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, so no know. one can say anything then. Yeah. Yeah, you're but, them. So it's not yeah. a surprise so if they find out something because they're like, oh, well, I already knew. As opposed to... Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that was in the 80s. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a good strategy. You know? so like, <laughs> long, but yeah, but I mean, my mom, she was a widow, so it was obviously a bit difficult for her because obviously she was going to hear things. Mm, and yeah. people had people obviously thought that they could say whatever they want to her because she didn't have a man behind, you know beside her yeah. to sort of yeah protect her or anything like that but um 
but yeah, so I am a, you know, and I just think, so with the center that I need, I could have gone to, I waited 12 weeks for another appointment and I was suffering, but mm-hmm. I just didn't want to go to the, I didn't want to go to the Asian one. It just wasn't worth it for you. And, and yeah. what about the service? Would you say it was good? Did you have, you know, was it? The was service it- was good, but it was just a 12 week wait and it was all yeah. of that. And I literally had, I'd broken, I was literally on the floor mm. at home didn't want to do anything, didn't want to talk to anyone or anything like that. And, um, but I, I made that decision, which was important for me to know that I can go to someone else yeah, that doesn't know me. And yeah. if anything, it probably, it could have worsened your mental state if you knew yeah. you go to someone who might then, you know, spread. That's it. it. Definitely. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm really sorry to hear that you went through such a difficult time. Um, and, is there anything that you that you did um, or that you said when you did get to have your appointment, <clears throat> which you could share with us, where you were able to explain <clears throat> to the person who was helping you exactly what you were going through and and how they responded? Was there a particular strategy you adopted, or <clears throat> I actually just said everything that I needed to say to them, <laughs> whatever yeah. I was talking about. I just actually opened up. But one thing I realised is that you know, if you do get referred to see someone. Mm. And you don't feel comfortable talking to that someone. Yeah. Ask to see someone else. You do not have to see that person. And I think with Asians, we accept what's given to us. Mm. That's true. And actually, and we shouldn't accept it. We should actually say, no, I'm not really comfortable. I'm just, you know, if you don't feel the whole point of trying to get help is for you to work through things. And if you're working through things with someone that you don't know, um, sorry, that you don't feel comfortable with. Yeah don't see that person don't continue it I, I you know um so it was so it was a male person that I saw I felt comfortable with him but did he understand my issues the thing is it was only six sessions that I had with him mm. um he was very good but I didn't feel comfortable with him but I just accepted it is yeah. that because he was a man or just because you didn't feel like he could relate or could could I don't think that he could relate and it was someone from a different culture background um that he understood he was very caring very sympathetic all of that Mm. but you know when you just don't feel iconic if you just I just didn't feel comfortable yeah I think it's innate it's like you just have a sense it's a sixth sense that you have when you just yeah your gut tells you this I just don't feel good with this yeah so I mean I did open up with him as you you know I did open with up with him I did tell him everything but I only had six sessions with him that that is not enough for any services to actually help someone who's probably had issues for 10 20 years yeah six sessions absolutely yeah it's not enough um i just found that that wasn't enough to actually start getting help you're probably just opening up Mm. yeah by the six you know the fourth session or the fifth session and after the sixth one that's it it's finished so i ended up seeing somebody else um but I waited six months to pluck the courage to do that. So in between, yeah, there was time before you. Yeah. 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 That can definitely undo anything that you've done in terms of addressing your emotional state. If you have to, if you have like a significant pause, it's, all, it's yeah. almost like you've got to start all over again. Yeah. And that was it. And it was the energy that you had to go into it and you know what you're going to face. Cause it's not easy mm. going to these lessons or anything, you know, going to these, um, sessions, um, because it's draining, it's absolutely draining. But I did see someone, 
six months later and that made such a difference it was a it was a female and we spoke about I spoke about everything that I needed to speak about but she just helped me step by step which made the difference for me to actually see the light at the end of the tunnel which I couldn't see 18 months ago and um and because of the small small steps that I took that made a difference for me to actually survive each day whereas initially I wasn't surviving each day I was just I was just carrying on I think I was just carrying on. Just deal with it. The, the, yeah. The, the yeah. Classic narrative yeah. that we, that we have. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I personally have been very conditioned to the whole, oh, I'm going to be judged um, narrative myself. And it's something I've carried with me, you know, in, from my childhood into my adulthood. But I remember going to see a counsellor when I was, I think it's in sixth form. And so I had really strict parents at one point. My parents were pretty relaxed until I got to my like teen years. And then I started mm. mixing with in, interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they, weren't, they weren't very happy with, with my friend, friend group, friendship groups and the influences that I had. So I just felt as though I was basically trapped. So I, I went to go see a counsellor and I was like, oh, this is happening to me. Like I'm really depressed. But then I, I, I remember just like reserving myself, like really, really just like holding back on explaining everything to him for some reason. And I just held on to that stigma that, that I've been conditioned to throughout my whole yeah. life. I'm not just not opening up entirely I'd like I'd, I'd maybe like release some information in like snippets now and again but then when you do stuff like that when you behave like that I think it really just builds up and just antagonizes you until you just like one day just explode and it's just not a very constructive way to address yeah difficult emotional states really definitely not it's not because as you just said it can it'll just blow up it may not blow up six months a year two yeah. two years it'll it happen probably yeah. later over years as well it's not just yeah. like months like yeah and you have like this is how you have microaggressions because then you think oh i'm gonna you know take it out on this random thing that's happened to me as opposed to actually addressing the underlying issues the next question is about particularly with women um there's a strong link between mental health and hormonal changes so for example getting quite technical here but due to the depletion of estrogen the menopause can have a really a series of very serious mental impacts such as anxiety low self-esteem emotional distress alongside the physical effects and the stigma that we have around acknowledging and understanding it is really devastating to see and it, it goes beyond the south asian community it goes you know it's, it's everywhere it's omnipresent throughout different societies and cultures and we see it not just at home in the private sphere but also in the workplace and i just want yeah. to mother because i know you're quite you've done a lot of research on this and you're writing about it from your own personal experience but would you say you know there are ways to create more compassion and openness towards menopause and and breaking the stigma around it definitely so um definitely it's literally just talking about it Mm. or well that's what we should actually be doing is just talking about it making it a normal conversation yeah in day-to-day life and not actually do it just once a year which is sort of the 18th of october when they do have it Um, it should be spoken about every day generally just normal conversation that's what it should be um you know my experience of the change of life it was like an upheaval Mm. initially I could not wait I guess you guys are the same way where you couldn't wait for your period you can't wait for your periods to stop that was (laughs) me you know thinking that you know gracefully I would sort of such a nuisance yeah yeah basically um you know gracefully I'd think okay once they stop that's it yeah I'm sorted. I don't need to worry about, you know, the holidays, what if we have holidays actually anymore. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, I was looking forward to the period stopping, but I honestly did not know what was waiting for me. 
Mm. And um, in all like all we, I bet you all you see is women that are suffering with hot flashes. In, that's a stereotype, yeah. That everyone just yeah. Assumes. That's, that's it, and, and it's laughed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually laughed off, and it's it, but it's more and it's deeper that it can be. Um, so you know, no one spoke about. I'd been I've been surrounded by women, mm. but no one's actually spoke about it, and I never realised the importance of the hormones that actually help our hormones help us every single day through our emotions, physically, everything. Mm. That's what how we get through the day as females. Mm. And I never I did I didn't ever. I want, you know, biology, I did biology, I won't tell you how many years ago, it was like decades ago, but, um, you know, so I forgot about everything that I'd learned. Yeah. Um, I never really sort of thought about the importance of hormones and why we need it and whatever. So it's literally everyone has to, you know, that you, you actually said something um, where you're saying about compassion and people to under, for people to understand. Mm. So um, I believe that a person can only understand something if they've gone through it. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. You know, and I have met women that are my age that have not gone through it. And they're saying to me, why am I doing what am I doing? You know, why am I doing that? It's because they've not gone through the journey that I've gone through. Yeah, well, everyone's um, journey is different in that sense, but that's it. It's not about un- necessarily about understanding, but just like acknowledging awareness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. But you know, you know, you would expect women to um, support women. Yeah, and it doesn't happen. No. It <laughs> and, and that's and that. And if you're going through something, no matter what you're going through, but if you're going through some ailment and you think that you're going to get support from someone. And, and you don't, it's a knockback. It's a really knockback to actually um, to go through, especially if you are suffering. Um, so what I would actually say mm-hmm. is basically, that, you know, everyone should be talking about it. It's all about talking, talking, talking and making it aware. Yeah, it's as simple as that, really. And yeah, I think a lot of the time people remove themselves from it because it's it doesn't affect them or it doesn't affect people around them. So if if they hear people talking about it, they'll maybe switch off from it or think, oh, it doesn't really impact me, but it mm. will in, in some ways, even if you're not a woman and even if you're not going through the menopause, you'll know someone at work at least or someone in your circle who's going through it and, you know, maybe just sit down and talk to them. But also, again, it's difficult to talk about it if people don't want to open up because of the stigma around it. Um, That's I, it. Yeah. So many women in my family, like who are at menopausal stage, like they go through the motions. Some of them do have hot flashes, but they'll like just dismiss it. They'll just be like, oh, it's, you know, it's just really hot or something. And then that'll be it. <laughs> that'll be the end of the conversation. So I actually, I actually open the freezer door and put my head in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, but you know what? So um, I was watching. I like watching doctors in the afternoon. I don't know. You probably guys don't watch it. Okay. So this is just like a, a drama, a soap type thing. And yeah. there's, and they've actually have just touched the subject about menopause mm. and it's a JP that's going through it, but they've made fun of it. Mm. And I actually think, you know, okay, it's good to laugh about it and make fun of it. But honestly, make something that is going to be heartfelt for other people to understand yeah. what yeah. a woman can actually go through and don't make fun of it. 
it can, you know, I mean, it's nice to laugh about it. Don't get me wrong, because it can put you in a better frame of mind. Yeah, yeah definitely. But there's definitely a balance there, isn't there? You can't yeah. mock people or, you know, make it seem as though it's some sort of light, light touch issue when it's so much deeper than that. That's it. And, you know, and, you know, we've, we've just spoken about, you know, you're seeing like the celebrities, they're all talking about mental health yeah. and everything like that. But they're celebrities. Yeah. They are going to get heard. You need to hear from people that are just normal household people yeah. and learn from their experiences because I think that's more normalized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People yeah. can't relate to celebrities on a personal level. They can relate to an ordinary person who tells their story, I think, a lot more. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and it's I all about talking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think within the South Asian community, it comes down to it being another taboo, right? So yeah. you're not going to open up within your own community or your family or, or your network because it's just not a thing. It's, it's something that women go through, just just get over it kind of thing. Mm. And it's, it's nowhere near as simple as that. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't have that personal experience yeah. yet, but watching my mum go through it and, and looking back and I just think, that you know that poor woman I don't know how the hell she got through it um because it you know we obviously you know she she was quite emotional quite passive aggressive getting hot flushes couldn't sleep I mean she hasn't slept in you know probably years now you know and it you know me and my sister necessarily didn't understand it you know in the early stages and we'd say let's try yoga let's try homeopathic medicine let's go for walks you know sleep apps we tried everything but we didn't necessarily understand it and, and obviously as we got older we, we tried to understand it a bit more but you're right it is it's such a hormonal imbalance that you can't you can't even begin to understand it until it happens to you mm. and I really really feel for my mom and I think she's an absolute trooper because you know someone who hasn't slept more than three three hours in how in in years it's it's horrible it's horrible it's, and I it's just, awful because you can't function no and I just don't know how she does it and how other women do it it's it's not just a phase it's not just something that happens it is something that you know basically takes control of your body which is the one thing that you normally can control and now you've got no control over no that's it well, it sounds like you still were quite attentive um, with your mum and you and your sister. Like you, you checked in on her and made sure she was okay and tried different, you know, solutions or you know, strategies yeah. to try and help. So that's still- oh, I don't know if my mum will see it that way. She carers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I think we were just like, oh, she's so moody all the time. And the minute yeah. she comes home, it's like, oh, everyone be on guard. She's going to shout at something, you know, because she was she was overly very like sensitive to things, and we didn't understand it at the time. We just thought, oh you know, why are you being so angry about everything? We really didn't, we didn't Did pay she know? to it. Did she know at that time? She knew it, but she was, she was trying not to accept it. And I think yeah, that's, that's where the we big were struggling. Thing. Yeah. And that's where we were struggling. And obviously the more, because she wasn't accepting it, the more we tried to say, let's do yoga or, you know, let's try meditation or let's try this. She was take, she was getting more and more angry at us. Mm. Um, and then we, I think it was when we sort of, we, when we said let's you know let's go to see like this, this these herbal doctors was when she started to understand it's a hormonal imbalance it is a thing that happens within women mm. it's all about the estrogen and and the cycle within your body that she then started to understand okay it's a normal thing you know everybody goes through it it's not just me that's acting crazy mm. and it's not me acting crazy it's something that's happening within my body and the more she kind of got to understand it the more she kind of got to accept it and now you know she's at a place where it, it's much 
it's much better. It's calmed down. She's getting more sleep. You know, she's doing yoga. She's started singing classes, things that she would oh. never do in the oh, beginning, you know? Yeah. Well, oh, that's really good. Yeah. And I think it, it's just about trying to, you know, if you don't understand it, you will never accept it. So you have yeah. to make that effort to understand it. And you need other people around you like to support you with it. Because if I, I think if we carried on like we were in the beginning, like, oh, you know, she's just shouting at us for no reason. She never would have <laughs> gone through it the way she did. Mm. And I feel awful for being like that at the time and I think a lot of women probably go through the same thing you know kids are kids we're ungrateful at times we don't understand things and we don't make the effort to yeah so I think for a lot of mums it's it's a really tough situation and I just yeah I really admire anyone that comes through and I admire Madhu for for, you know um we're talking about it it. yeah but Shanali just one thing I want to say is that your mum would definitely appreciate what you and Janal have done no, yeah, matter what, no matter what you're thinking, but she would definitely appreciate that because that's the most, most, that's the best thing that actually she could have got is support mm. from her family. Yeah. Yeah. I think she that, would have been a different story. Yeah. You know, there's a sentiment yeah. as well behind it. Like you're trying to, you know, make her feel better about herself, even if, you know, she didn't think it was the right thing or didn't mm-hmm. appreciate it at the time. It's yeah. Like you've yeah. made the effort. Definitely. I just wish at that time she had somebody like sort of her age going through the same thing mm-hmm. to be able to yeah. talk to because it's great to obviously have the support of your family but if yeah. you, don't, you know we're not feeling it we don't necessarily understand it like she does mm-hmm. so yeah. I think it's still very hard it's great to have the support of your kids but <coughs> they don't get it you know really and truly they don't get it so you've hit you know, the nail on the head yeah and I just wish there there were other people that she could have reached out to at the time and I think it would have helped her so much but because of the stigma and the taboo around it she That's was never going to reach out to anyone. It's because you know you see people around you that are stronger and that are carrying on and then they're surviving but actually you don't know what's happening behind closed uh-huh. doors. Yeah yeah. yeah. They just don't didn't talk about it. Yeah. It's That's, very that's easy. the bit yeah it's very easy to just look at people on the surface and think oh wow they must be really really like strong and like doing everything and managing to struggle everything perfectly fine why can't I do it it's just like well you don't know what what experience they experiences they've had and what has shaped who they are today you just have no idea yeah find out but the the menopause I think people can feel very alienated and alone um I'm just trying to think of people I know who've been through it. it's very difficult to speak to um your own partner I think because if you feel like <laughs> your womanhood why it's just like so difficult to talk about because then you feel oh I, I don't look good anymore for you so why would I I don't want to talk about it because it makes it seem even more real I feel like people avoid talking about it with their significant others and that can feel really really uh, like alienating I think I think first you actually as a woman you know you need to know what's happening to you mm. to to understand okay. that and if you don't if you're if you're noticing all these changes but you don't know what the changes are you know and you're thinking well, I don't know what's happening to me and I literally um what you know so I was definitely isolated this is why I've sort of started to do what I want to do because mm-hmm. it's an awful place being alienated where mm-hmm. you just think it's you suffering yourself no one else is going through or anything like that and you do feel in a lonely place you could have 20 people around you you know, smiling, laughing and whatever, mm. but you'd be standing in the center of all of that. But inside, you know what you're feeling and what you're going through. And it's just a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling actually going through that. You're putting a yeah. front on, but inside you're actually feeling something else. And, you know, 
Shinali, as you said, it took your, you know, your mom, it was accepting the fact that she was going through the menopause. Mm. I didn't accept it for about three years. I couldn't accept it. I didn't want to because I didn't feel old. And to me, yeah. it's all that goes through it. So it's just all of that. And, and obviously my age is that, that I'm going to go through the change. But I just, it took me years to accept it. And I think it was all of those emotions that I was feeling. I couldn't talk to my partner. Um, and, and I felt that he wouldn't understand. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But I actually, he literally I've screamed. He's, they, they have supported me so much. I can't tell you. And like my partner is my rock now. He'll always say to me like, you know, if I'm going on a radio station or anything like that, it's literally go and smash it. And basically I'm talking about everything that I'm going through. So it's all the person, the relationship side of things. It's all of that that you have to talk about because you can't just talk, you can't just pick little things and tell people what you're going through, mm. you know, because yeah. then they're going to be wondering, well, what's happening with my relationship? Why, why, why is my relationship going in the distance? You know, why is it in the distance? Why are we not close anymore? Anything like that. And literally the menopause affects everything. Yeah. In your day to day life. The physical effects as well. So if you're in a social situation and you, I don't know, you need to go to loo or something, or you're feeling really hot all of a sudden, you know, people can see that. See it. And, and that's when you feel really uncomfortable and you might stop yourself from going to, you know, different engagements because you think, oh, well, people are going to notice this about me. I need to hide it or something. Yeah. I, I would anything. definitely. I mean, in the W, women like that would actually do that or they might carry on mm-hmm. and just put a front on but they're making their situation worse for themselves. So as long as they can just learn to deal with things, that's all it is. It's literally all the stuff that we've been talking about mental health, like mindfulness and, you know, working on your, working on your mindset, just changing things routine wise or anything that, or doing small, small steps that you can actually do each day just makes that difference as well as actually I'm on HRT and I took HRT because it was, that was my, that to me was going to be my savior. Not that it's a, it's helped in every single way, but my hot flesh, my night sweats have completely reduced. I am, I'm sleeping. Even if I'm sleeping for four or five hours, that's better than sleeping for two hours or three hours in having to survive the next day. So it's just, different little things that you can actually do a lot of people don't like HRT because of have heard of all the negativity and everything, but the research that was done at that time was incorrect. Mm. You know, so you don't hear that. You just hear about things that were done and you'll never get the HRT just given to you like sweets. The GP will actually, you know, make sure that you are able to take the HRT, that you've not got family history about cancer or strokes or anything like that. They actually look into it a lot before they actually give that to you. I took the herbal medication. The herbal medication didn't help me. and um and literally i had decided right i'd be going at my i'm suffering my family's suffering what is it that i can do that's going to help me mm. so i took the decision actually to take hrt oh, wow. and it has helped so it was, me it was basically a solace for you because i think people always stick to something that they that gives them comfort in a time like that and you found that to be something that yeah I, I just didn't want to sacrifice the temperaments or my irritability or my mood yeah. swings or the way I felt in my family suffer along with it. Mm. And I don't, and you know, when I was going through it, I was self pitying myself. Mm. And then actually, then I took a step back and thought, actually my family are going through it. It's not just me. Yeah. yeah. The whole family. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I can't, I obviously haven't experienced it myself, but from what you've, what you've said, you know, it's a long-term thing. You're in it for the long haul. It's not a short-term. People assume it's going to be over in a couple of years, but it, it takes several years. No, And it's about no, it making that transition process easier from, you know, when yes, you have it to definitely. Easy. And once you're over that hurdle, I think, you know, you can somehow stabilize and learn to cope with it as long as you've got good support around you from what, from what you've told me. And that, and that sounds like you did. Um, that is the main thing. That is the main thing, yeah. and that's why awareness in the in the work work environment, all environments actually needs to be done, and it's um, that's what my aim is to do is to actually do that. Awesome. By holding workshops, so <laughs> yeah, workshops as well. Once lockdown's over, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We come to the theme of um, final theme of expectations. Um, I guess broadly, what is the impact of intergenerational families on women's well-being? So, for example, there's a default expectations, which I'm, which I'm sure, either if we haven't experienced it ourselves, we've seen our friends or our family experience it, where you know daughters will devote their time to their elderly parents, often while juggling, you know, their own kids, their their jobs, their livelihoods, um, and the real pressure of this isn't actually talked about very often. Um, how do we make extra support in these times more accessible? because people just don't admit when they need help. Plus I think my mom mm. didn't do it when she was looking after my grandma and my granddad. Like she, she was just like, I'm absolutely fine. Like I can do it on my own. They're my parents. Of course, I'm going to take care of them. I don't need help, you know? So it's, it's about, I think people a lot of the time are quite proud as well of not wanting to ask for help. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, I can't relate to, to sort of that example particularly, but I think um, there is this huge notion, like as a community, that you know, like this self-sacrificing woman, like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and really idolise. You know, if you don't make everyone happy and care for everyone, even to the detriment of your own well-being, yeah, or mental health, um, then you know, you're you're not really fulfilling your role. And I think you know, support would be nice, you know, outside, you know, whether it's in work or groups like ours but it really does start like home to home because every family has a different dynamic there'll be different factors elderly parents or young kids or, or whatever it is mm. um, and if you don't stop that narrative that a woman has to juggle everything and enjoy it and not be able to um, you know say that it's hard a human I'm, being <laughs> yeah. yeah just be human um, be you know perfect. yeah exactly and I think because once that stops, then there will be more openness, like as, as all of us have been saying, there'll just be more people willing to accept that they need help. But at the moment, the notion is that, you know, this is fine and, and we can do this because we've been doing this for so long. Yeah, um, yeah I just think that's really unfortunate, uh, you know, for, for those who really do struggle yeah. in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also the notion that with, I think with hospital and palliative care and things like that, within British culture there's this perception that um you know South Asian families minorities tend to be very happy with looking after their their parents so then the assumption yeah. is that, oh you don't need extra help because you can obviously look after your your own family mm. we'll only give it to people who actually need it sort of thing and that attitude is very very destructive because it, it negates the fact that people you know people are turned off from seeking help because they're being pushed on one side from their family and expectations asking mm. them to just put up with it and then on the other hand you know at the at the administrative and public health level they're also being told by these specialists that oh you don't really need our support because you can clearly manage on your own so then you know it's it's very difficult i think when you hear that from a say a health professional yeah um and you're from the elder generation you would accept it 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't actually question it. You would just, yeah. Whereas now you're all at the generation where you wouldn't accept it now because, you know, um, everyone's, everyone's um, have different roles. You know, we've all got different responsibilities. We've all got our responsibility. We've all got our caring, um, you know, children working, all of that. Whereas when our parents were younger, my mom would have been just in the house. She didn't work. She was at home. She looked after the children and everything like that. But she was fortunate, like her family, she didn't have, I didn't live with my grandparents. My dad's side, um, his parents had, weren't alive and my grand other grandparents lived in India mm-hmm. so I didn't have that effect yeah. of you know living within a family yeah. but I just think that the way the elder generation were they would have just accept they would just yeah. accept what a professional said and just carry on and deal with it whereas now you're, you guys are in a generation where you would actually question it yeah and and going forward that is exactly what we should be doing you know if we need help don't don't be afraid to uh, to seek it out yeah um the pride thing i think again that's another (laughs) another um, cultural aspect of something that's difficult to shake off even now but something that we're definitely gonna i think i think that pride element is definitely gonna fade away um throughout the generations it already has so that's that's definitely a good thing um yeah yeah well um it's been a really interesting discussion um we've covered quite a lot of stuff today and it's been pretty dense but it's been so enlightening like I've learned so much um, about your various experiences with mental health whether that's you know through your own lived experience or through family members and one thing I've definitely learned is that when you have family members going through it it's somehow even more difficult because you've got to reconcile the fact that you want to be there for them but then you also don't want to create a situation where you're offending them in a way yeah a lot of your experiences that you've shared you know shows how difficult it can be to achieve that balance and that can be a real struggle sometimes but there's definitely a way to make things easier I think and as you said mother it is about talking talking and talking so definitely definitely a take home thank you so much to all of you mother Shanali and Sonam for joining reroute and mental wealth both organizations are available on Instagram Yes. Would you like to share the the names, the handles? Yeah, absolutely. It is Reroute, R-E-R-O-U-T-E, 2018 is when we started. Um, And then you can just search Reroute um, on Facebook and we also come up on there. That's us. Awesome. Yeah, and um, Mental Wealth on Facebook, it is Let's Talk Mental Wealth. And on Instagram, it is Mental Wealth Org. Brilliant. So if you haven't already, please do go and follow them. Some of the stories that they share are very compelling. They're very original and they're very authentic. And it really does shed a light on some of the more human experiences that we have, because I think it's very easy on social media to paint a life of, you know, perfection. But both these organizations really do shed a light on on the reality of life and the struggles we do face on a daily basis. So thank you very much to all of you for coming on to today. Um, I do really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, we ha- I have. Thank you for having yeah. us. Thank you for having us. It's been great to talk You're to you about it. Awesome. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this discussion or topic interesting and you want to share your views, we'd love to hear from you. 
I'm so grateful to those of you who have taken the time to leave me comments, reviews and messages about your thoughts on the podcast. It's really helped inform my direction for this season. Keep your comments coming. I really do love them. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Please do join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd be super grateful if you could leave me a rating and review as this helps the podcast garner further traction. Please like, share and subscribe. Until next time, thank you.